the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective. Teaching. Conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61 from Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor Joe Sutton. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Pastor Joe Sutton, and uh, I'm coming at you again with another issue of uh, you know, another segment of Isaiah 61. You know, Isaiah 61 is, uh, is is real special to me because when I, I look at what the, the scriptures that our Lord read when he when he embarked upon uh, his mission on earth. And, and I'm, I'm just amazed that that uh, that he could have the patience to sit around and, and, and to just to view mankind and look at different situations for 30 years before he embarked upon his uh, his three and a half year ministry. And, you know, he, he, he made a declaration that reminds us of of what it was. And that's and that's just to heal the broken heart and preach good news to the poor, set the captive free and release prisoners. And uh, and, and I look at that and I look at my own life and I look at what what I've dedicated my life to to walk in the, the footsteps of my savior. And and, and that's pretty much what. Uh, I've, I've, I've dedicated my life to, and you look at, you know, like what is the good news, right? And the good news is it varies from person to person, but the gospel is consistent and it's the same. And, and sometimes we get, we get lost in the gospel, you know, lately in the show, I've been talking about how culture doesn't, doesn't override, ride scripture and, and, uh, and different things like that. And so I was in a discussion with another pastor about, about culture, about, about uh you know the the Hebrew culture in particular or, or back then what the Hebrew culture was and you know Jesus words that I did not come to condemn the law but I came to fulfill the law and so though there are certain things in in that in that culture or in the law that that we no longer look at because Jesus has fulfilled those things you know we 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 don't do sacrifices because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice and he 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 gave his life and he and he and he shed his blood that that we may be whole that we could come into the kingdom that we could stand before God as spotless lambs. And I was talking uh, to my children and we we have these discussions, you know, we have these real deep discussions, you know, and we said, you know, is is, is God uh, bipolar? You know, is he schizophrenic? You know, <laughs> and so. And they're like, no, dad, you know, because sometimes we accept something as being true because it's our belief system and we defend it without even really thinking about it. And and I wasn't trying to be negative or trying to uh, be like an agnostic or anything like that. I was just saying that it without the Holy Spirit leading you and guide you, you know, you know, you know, he, Jesus said today the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So without the spirit of the Lord leading you and guiding you, when you do read the word of God, there are some points in there that would seem to contradict each other just in the very essence of the identity of Christ and who Christ says he is, 
you know, when you're, you're reading in one part and he's the, he's the lamb of God, right? You know, the little lamb of God, nice little cute little lamb of God and everything like that. Oh, but he got a blood stain on him. You know, he got a, he got some wounds and he's there. And then the next thing you know, you read a little further and, you know, here's this dude riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, you know, looking like he about to take somebody out, you know, saying he's the lion of Judah. So, you know, one minute he's the lion of Judah, the next minute he's the lamb of God. And, you know, and so, you know, which one is he? Is he, is he the lion or is he, is he the lamb? Is, you know, we all know the characteristics of a lion and a lamb and, you know, and, and they're not, you know, they ain't that close, you know, when it comes into that. So, but the thing about it is, is that, that, that he, he is both, you know, and, and how can he be both? Well, you know, that he was that lamb that was slain on the altar. You know, God only asked for, yeah, you know, he asked for like, you know, bulls or rams or goats or whatever to be slain. And, uh, and so he does, does take that role. But at the same time, he is the, he is the lion of Judah. You know what I mean? He, he is the conquering king. He is a king and, and his sword, his sword is the word of God. And, and there are instances in his life where he's coming to operate in that role. And there's other instances where he operates in the other role. I say the thing about it is, is that you'll never really understand this until the Holy Spirit starts and brings you revelation. Because even in our own life, we're required to be, you know, like a lamb. You know what I mean? We're to be as, as, as gentle as a dove and sly as a snake at some time. So, so when do we know which role to operate in? It's when we're led by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit of God. And, and what I see is I, I read through the, through the Bible. You know what I mean? I, I, I make it, I make it my, my choice. You know, I don't come out of my room. I don't answer a phone. I don't do anything until I, you know, I, I read. Right. And, and so at the beginning of the year and the beginning of the summer, cause I read through the Bible twice a year, I find myself in the Torah. And when I'm in the Torah and I'm, and I'm reading in the Torah and I, I see how, 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 you know, God lays out these, 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 these commands and these, these issues. And, and it, it, it challenges me. It challenges me to see, you know, when, when, when Moses had to be a reconciler for his people. And then when Moses had to be uh, encouraging his people to go to war and, uh, and, you know, and to go to war was, was a, a vicious war. You know, they were, they, and they weren't really that used to fighting so much as they were there. And so they had to fight. And then there were other times, where, you know, they bowed down and went through quietly and didn't engage in the battle. And it's because it's, it's spirit led. But then I noticed something, you know, I noticed whenever they had a question during the times of, of Moses and even during the first first few years, they would go to the high priest and then the high priest would look at the word. And if the word didn't give a clear answer, they went to the tent of meeting and they asked God and got a clear answer from God. And that's why they had those two jewels, the Urim and Thurim on the chest to be able to ask God questions and God can answer them. But as, as you read further and further, they consulted with God less and less and less. Even Saul, when he was on the run, he didn't really consult with God. He went to the witch indoor to try to pull up Samuel from the grave to consult with him. Uh, David early on in, in his uh, ministry as king, would consult with God and say, should I attack? Should I not attack? Should I go? Should not go? And then as he got further into it, he kind of went on his own free will and cognizance. And, and I noticed that that reminds me of myself and, you know, people I pastor or people I'm around, you know, when we first come in to our relationship with Christ, we're willing to, to ask him 
what should we do and what shouldn't we do? And then as we progress a little while, we think we know the answer. And, and it may be a, the, the typical biblical answer, but there could be times where God may not be wanting us to be the lamb, may want us to be the lion, or he may not want us to be the lion, but the lamb, or may not want us to be either one. You know what I mean? And so, and then, but we tend to not ask him. I, I will share this uh, story out of my life. When I first became, uh, when I first got saved, I, I just had a heart for, for, for everybody, right? I was working in nursing homes. I was working in Sunday school. I was uh, just wanted, just wanted to, just wanted to do God's will. You know what I mean? I was like Dr. King. I just wanted to do God's will, right? And didn't really quite know what it was that I was supposed to do. So I was putting my hand in everything. I was single. I had time. You know, I mean, you know, if I was giving 50 hours a week to my job, I figured I can get 50 hours a week to the Lord. So that's just how I, that's how I was thinking. You know, I was just going around doing these things. And then I was bringing people to church. And finally, one guy came up to me and he noticed that I was bringing all these young people to church. And he said, he said, you like working with young people. I said, yeah, I like working with young people. He said, uh, you should you should go work for you for Christ. And I said, what is you for Christ? He said, well, they work with young people. If nothing else, they can give you some training so you can be better adept at working with young people. So I contacted the guy from you for Christ. And uh, he had, they happened to have one at my church. And, and he was he was there. And, and it was a raise your own support ministry. But that didn't bother me. I was working, so I didn't really need the money. And so I told him I really had a heart for for young people, especially young people in the urban context. And uh, and so for my training, they took me out to a town called, got famous during the the, the, the hurricane, but to, to Rosenberg, Texas, right? And I'm out in Rosen, Richmond, Rosenberg, Texas. It was the closest thing to me to get training, right? Because nobody was doing urban ministry, you know, that, and it's still, that was uh, 30 years ago and ain't nothing much changed. You know, ain't nobody doing urban ministry because... <laughs> Cause it doesn't support itself. You know what I mean? You're, you're looking at, at, and just not getting there. I mean, I, I've been doing this thing for almost 40 years and I don't, I don't know what a, a regular check looked like outside the times I worked at hospitality house. So I go out to Rosenberg, Texas, man. And it is, um, country It's country Texas. You know what I mean? And, and I'm so naive, right? That, I'm seeing the young people come to the meeting and they got these round circles in the back of their jeans. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm from the city. So I'm thinking it's another designer gene, right? You know, every designer has his own label. So I'm thinking the round circle is, is the designer label, right? John's laughing at me, right? Cause my little urban dumb, butt. so I, I didn't know it, it was where they kept their chewing tobacco. You know what I mean? I just didn't know that. Right? I just, I even asked the guy one time, I said, man, what kind of jeans though? He said, Lee, I said, but no, what, what kind? You know, I was like, it was, I was a special rodeo brand or something, right? So when I found that part out, I felt dumb. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> and then the first time I saw a guy kiss a girl with chew in his mouth, that really sent me to the next, next millennium, you know what I mean? That was out there. But, uh, some of the kids didn't really like me because, of course, I'm, I'm, I was black, right? And, uh, they had been taught not to like me. But, you know, the greatest, most powerful thing is uh, when it was time for me to move on after my training. And those kids, some of them came and cried and hugged me and and uh, and, and said and just shared with the fact that at first they weren't easy. But then, you know, they're going to miss me. And I even continued going out there for the next year, you know, just because of the relationships that I had built 
you know, with somebody from a totally different culture. We're not even talking. I mean, race is not culture. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I knew white people in the city didn't like going to Rosenberg. So it wasn't there. So now I'm I'm doing this youth work, trained in Rosenberg. I'm back in the hood. And they take me into the school lunchroom. And this school has 2,500 students. And there's three lunch periods, over 800 each lunch period. They take me to the lunchroom. I'm looking out over the lunchroom and they say, okay, Joe, your job is to start a youth group here. I looked out there, man, fear gripped my soul. I'm like, I don't know anybody, not a teacher, not a student. And I got a cold call at a lunch. Lunch is like 27 minutes long or 30 minutes long. And, you know, by the time you stand in line to get your food, you're eating. And then some grown dude coming up here that you don't even know going to ask you a question about you want to come to, you know, youth group meeting or something like that. I did it, man. I went off in a hallway and I prayed, man. I went to the back after the first lunch. I prayed, did the second lunch. Then a teacher saw me and it was Christian teacher came and, and talked to me, rescued me from the third lunch. And uh, let me introduce myself to some of their students in the classroom. And uh, they became a resource for me. And eventually that first year, I got seven kids to come out on a regular basis to, to, to my club. And, man, I prayed. You don't know, man. Every When I went to do my Monday visits, I prayed. I prayed. I prayed Sunday night. <laughs> I prayed Monday morning. I anointed my head with oil before I walked on that campus. I did everything, man, just, just to hope God would give me favors. I went in there to introduce and cold call kids and use other kids to meet other kids and do everything like that. And then uh, more and more kids start coming, and uh, and my influence grew greater. And then that summer, I, I quit my job and did it full time, and I went off and got trained. And, and once I got that training, I was confident when I came back that fall. And I went in there and I noticed something about myself about halfway through the next year that I didn't pray as much as I did before. I didn't call on God because I had had my training. So I figured I figured I knew what to do. I was seeing results. So I was confident in what I can do. So I wasn't crying out to God and, and begging him for help. And and then, you know, I, I started looking at myself and saying, why is that? You know what I mean? You know, even now when I prepare a sermon, I remember the first couple of sermons I had to give. Oh, my goodness. I read through 17 commentaries. I was reading books, Bibles, everything going through there. I was just I had so many notes. I was just because I, I was just doing all this, crying, praying, fasting. And now, man, I can roll out the bed. You know what I mean? And, and knock it out the park. You know, and what is it about our human nature that we start off being dependent on God or, or anything? And once we get it, we take it to task. And I noticed this as I was reading in the book of Numbers and looking through there, how at first they would go to that tent of meeting and ask God to clarify his word. And then as the Pharisees and Sadducees and stuff start forming, and start forming opinions and everything like that. They no longer got on their knees to ask God what he meant. They just wrote up a lot of rules and regulations and said, this is what God means. And and, and it gets into that point and looking. And, and, and I see that in our own lives and what we do and, and, and that we 
no longer allow the spirit of the Lord to direct us. And and we don't have to pray about everything. You know, I, I'm not saying, you know, to pray about everything, but the scripture does tells us to pray without ceasing, always be in prayer. You know, I mean, that this is the will of God, always be in constant contact with, oh, I'm not trying to sell that product, but in constant contact with, with your Lord and you get there. You know, you're listening to Isaiah 61, the radio ministry of Spirit of the Lord Church. And, uh, and I'm Pastor Joe Sutton. And I want to take a break right now. And then I want to come back and just talk about, you know, the importance of constantly, constantly, constantly being in contact with our Lord as we make our everyday decisions in life. Spirit of the Lord Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church impacting North Minneapolis and the greater Twin Cities. Emphasizing the four pillars of godly thinking, training up godly children, godly marriages, and outreach to the community. Spirit of the Lord has quickly become a staple to some of the people who need God the most. As they focus on Jesus Christ, grace and truth bind them together to become God's best. Join them for service every Sunday morning at 1030 at 1001 Penn Avenue North in Minneapolis. Spirit of the Lord Church, a proud sponsor of Isaiah 61. If it was 1990, you'd be listening to your favorite radio station on a bulky boombox that burns through D batteries faster than you can say you've got mail. Thankfully, it's the 21st century, and there are much better alternatives. For example, just ask Alexa to tune in. Alexa, play the Mission Minneapolis. Throw out that old beeper and get with the times. Listen to your favorite AM 980 The Mission Bible Teachers and Ministries with Alexa and Amazon Echo. Hey, welcome back to Isaiah 61. You know, we uh, just had this uh, MLK weekend that gave us this short week. And uh, I woke up to, I woke up yesterday morning not even knowing it was Friday. You know what I mean? I'm sitting up there. <laughs> I was sitting up there running around, man. I'm, I'm, you know, I, as some of you know, man, I'm an accountant by trade. So I'm I'm downloading my tax software and, and reading my tax newsletter and everything like that and realized, ah, I got a show to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> Eleven oh six, you know, and uh, I need to get up out of here. And you know, you get to rushing and running, and I, and I, I I said that because this short week was, you know, one of the examples I want to use is the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, and in Dr. Martin Luther King's life, you know, it, it, the whole civil rights movement was a was a Christian movement. Yeah, I mean, you know, we like to look at it as an African American movement and everything like that. But when you look at the songs that were sung, they were spirituals. When you look at the way they organized their meeting, they were having church. You know, when you look at how they marched, you know what I mean? It was a total reliance on God. And there were a lot of songs made during that era, some great songs. And, uh, you know, that some definitely some conscious songs, but they weren't singing those as they was marching toward the uh, the tear gas and the, the dog and the, and the nightsticks. They were singing spirituals because... They were drawing their strength from God. They were drawing their strength from God. They drew resources from all different areas and different different things, but their strength came from the Lord. And, you know, even even as there was a time in, in Dr. King's life where the movement kind of strayed away from 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 being Christian, you know what I mean? And 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 it strayed away from calling on God and 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 therefore, 
you know, you hear in his last speech that that where it that awakening to come back and what it was. He said, you know, he just said, you know, my eyes are seeing the glory of the coming of the Lord, you know, not not the, not the coming of, of the government, not the coming of, of the cash flow, but the coming of the Lord. And he just said, then I just want to do God's will. Now, I, mean, I just want to do God's will and doing God's will cost him his life and uh, cost him not to see his kids grow up, cause him not to see grandchildren. You know what I mean? But that that wasn't it. You know what I mean? And there's sometimes when we become professional, when we come, you know, when I became a professional, when I thought I, I got my training and and I knew what to do and I knew how to reach kids and I became professional, I quit praying and, and, and calling on God like I did before. Because I knew what to do because I only called on I only it's like I treated God like I'm only calling on you when when I need you. But if I know what to do, I don't call on you. You know, but the key or secret of a successful life in Christ is that you call on him no matter what. And, and you call on him and you depend on him and you can come to him and talk to him no matter what. You don't have to only talk to him about the things you don't know. You know, as a matter of fact, it's the things you do know they tend to get you in trouble because you tend to think that you know what to do and you make a decision and pop up. There it is. You're in trouble and you, you're getting at the gun. And so to me, you know, what I want you to come away with this is, is that no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, no matter how long we've been doing a certain thing professionally or, you know, career wise, that we still need to lean on him. For he is the Alpha and the Omega. Yes, he gives us talents. He gives us gifts. He gives us dreams. But, you know, he is our source. He is who we draw from. He is who we plug into. And training is fine and and and, and learning things and, and, and systems and all kind of things like that are great to have. But in the long and the short run, you know, we have to be drawing our strength from him. And, you know, to me, life is so much better when, when I – when I sat down and, and I allowed him to to, to design a, a program or allowed him to, to, to give an answer, even though there was other programs available and there's things that were in the word. But when you call upon him and lean upon him, it just makes things much, much better, more powerful. Drawing from the life of Dr. King, you know what I mean, to to meet violence with nonviolence, to meet not only with nonviolence, to meet it, but but to meet it with love, to, to sincerely love and to pray for those folks. You know, I, I shared with, you know, this weekend, we got together with uh, Urban Refuge Church, uh, my church, Spirit of the Lord, and then a new church came in, you know, uh, uh, a, a Hispanic church. Uh, I'm not going to even butcher their name, but <laughs> uh <laughs> Deos, they have high, yeah, way well, anyway. But God bless you, brothers. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And uh, we, we got together to celebrate this holiday to look at the impact because the impact was not just for the African American community, it wasn't just the, the, the civil rights. You can still argue over whether we needed the civil rights amendment or not, but it was the idea that a, that, that a group of people called upon the name of the Lord, right, and drew their strength from Him. And so, and, 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 they took that ministry that's given to them in the scriptures called the ministry of reconciliation. And they used it to reconcile uh, a nation. Because when you, when, when I, when I, we went to see the movie Selma a few years ago as, as churches and went back in and broke it down. And that was just a historic moment all in itself. 
But one of the things that, that, that I cried in Selma about, and even when I went back with a, a bunch of pastors this past year on Sankofa, and we went down there and, uh, you know, we walked on the bridge and there, I cried because I thought about the white people that were taught to hate me and, and, and to hate my, my, my ancestors. And the scriptures say that if you, you can't love God if you hate your fellow man that's right before you. And, and to, to know that those people during that era that had been taught and trained to hate and that it was okay to hate, that it was biblically okay to hate, that they're going to stand before God and some of them God going to say, depart from me for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You know what I mean? And that their leaders led them down this road. You know what I mean? But that they themselves couldn't even understand scripture, that they allowed that culture, that racist culture to override scripture and thus deny their prayers being heard and everything like that. And, you know, as one lady shared with me at the end of the message, how bad she hates our president and she can't pray for him. And I say, but you have to pray for him. Scripture says we must pray for him. And, 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 and to see her wrestle with that brought joy and pain to my heart. This world is in the state it's in because we're not praying. And one of the reasons we're not praying is because we're hating and we're not liking. Depend on the Lord. Don't depend on your reasoning. Allow him to move through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.